from New York City. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and today we're going to do something interesting, or at least I think it's interesting, and we're going to start up in the clouds. It all starts with how different languages are from one another. And this is something I mention often, and I can't stress it more. I think that even a lot of us who are language fans, we tend to think that other languages are you know, kind of like English, maybe a little harder, maybe different in some ways. And so maybe the adjectives come after the nouns or something like that. But you figure that a noun is a noun and a verb is a verb and an adjective is an adjective. And learning another language is mostly going to be just a matter of learning what their labels are for the things that we call fire or slip or red. But no, no, part of the joy of languages is that you never know how a language is going to apply labels, and not just labels, but action words and description words to this thing we call reality. We're living this life, and there's so many ways that a language can cut it up. And so what to us seems so obviously an adjective like hot or big is very often going to be a verb in some other language. What to us seems so obviously an action in some other language will be handled by a noun, and that's just the way it is. You never know. Or the softeners that I talked about. How does a language soften? All languages have softeners, but languages do it in different ways. I talked about the things that we do in modern American English in particular, but you know, there are other places, which I've mentioned, such as Frisian and Dutch, where you use little diminutive suffixes much more than we would as a way of softening. There are all sorts of ways of doing it. Formality. If you're trying to figure out how to be formal in a language, trying to figure out what they use for please is only the very beginning, and they might not have a word that really translates into please. There are all sorts of ways that a language is formal versus informal. Think about the pronouns in the European languages we tend to learn, where you've got the difference between, for example, tú and usted in Spanish. That's a kind of formality. Then in the last show, I talked about how Japanese just sprinkles it all over almost anything you would say. Or even, for example, good old processes. That's a, a kind of formality in its way. All sorts of things. And then in terms of splitting up reality, there's the complexity issue. Some languages are more complex than others. I know there's some linguists out there who don't like it when someone says that. But frankly, all of them know deep down that if you know your way around how the grammar of a language like Navajo works, you could not realistically say that there isn't more going on in that grammar than there is in the grammar of, say, English or Indonesian. It's simple fact. So you never know how a language is going to allot things. And there's a little area of that that I think we need to discuss. And the question I'm going to ask is, how does your language move? Languages move, but they move in different ways. How does a language move? It's not just go and come. Yes, all languages have a way of saying go and a way of saying come. I'm going to put myself on the line and say that I, of course, haven't checked all 7,000, but Almost certainly any language can do go and come in some way. You know, there are languages that actually only have, say, three verbs at all, and everything else is done with a construction. And so, for example, Jingaloo is a language. Yeah, it's a cute name. Jingaloo is spoken in Australia, and there are only three verbs. And two of them are, wouldn't you know, go and come. They're just so 
basic. Then there's another one that just means really like, <clears throat> it's kind of like do, kind of like be. And so there is no verb to sleep, you do a sleep. There is no verb to dive, you do a dive, and so on. But even if you've got just three and it comes down to the dregs of what verbness is, you've still got go and come. But there's a lot more to how your language moves than the fact that all languages have go and come. And so the title of this episode will be, and I don't usually give the episode's titles myself and say them during the show, but there's someone out there who knows why I am giving this episode a particular title. The title of this episode is Verbs on the Move. That clip, some of you are beginning to ask me to be more specific about the clips. That's from Moody Blues. That's from Days of Future Past. That's Lunch Break. And goodness, I remember being high as a kite listening to that a lot in the 80s. And I always liked Lunch Break more than I think other people did. And that's because I'm not well. In any case, verbs on the move. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here is one basic way that languages differ. You'd never think about this, even if you know the languages, but it's something where you can fairly neatly split languages down the middle. Some languages are one way, some are another. Of course, some are in between, but mostly it's one way or another. Here's the difference. I ran down the steps. There's a little sentence. Okay. Now, let's say you learn some French and you're thinking courir. Yeah, that's the way to say run. But really, in idiomatic French, if you're going to say I ran down the steps. Then you say, je suis descendu. So, I descended. Je suis descendu l'escalier en courant. Running. So, I went down the steps running. So, we say, I ran down the steps. French, I descended the steps. I downed the steps running. What's going on is that we use our verb to indicate the manner, how we were moving. How'd you go down the steps? I ran down the steps. Then we have some word afterward that indicates the direction. So I ran, I was moving my legs quickly, and then in what direction? Down. In French, you do the direction part with the verb. You descend, and then you have some little bit that comes afterward that indicates how. So en courant, so in running. Languages differ in how that kind of thing works. And so we say, I ran down the steps. And we have the direction in that extra little part. Not the verb, but what's called, this is kind of cool, the, the satellite. So it kind of goes around it. Down the steps. French is a language where the direction is in the verb. And so it's not in the satellite, it's in the verb. So we call English a satellite-framed language, if you want the pointy-headed term. And French is a verb-framed 
language. And part of having what we call the feel of a language, the Sprachgefühl, to use that German word, is having a sense, although you might not know what to call it, of whether you're dealing with a verb-framed or a satellite-framed language. Now, based on the feedback on the Yiddish show and so much else, I can tell that I have a good healthy body of Jewish listeners out there. And I'm glad because frankly, I've always felt like I was sort of honorarily Jewish for about 800 reasons. And so here, of course, we're going to have to use some Hebrew. I just happened to have with me, I just (laughs) brought it by chance, the first Harry Potter book in Hebrew. So let's go through it. And this is the pages of the book. Let's go through it and take a look at an example of this. Hebrew is actually a verb-framed language as opposed to a satellite-framed one. So, Uncle Vernon, you know, nasty Uncle Vernon. Uncle Vernon came skidding into the room. There was a crash behind them, and Uncle Vernon came skidding into the room. Well, in the Hebrew version, Uncle Vernon, Dod Vernon, remember Hebrew has a deep voice, so Dod Vernon, and then came skidding into the room. But in Hebrew, it's nichnas mo'ed letochacheder. So, nichnas mo'ed is entered, then mo'ed is kind of like you get in and you're and you're ready for something like, ah! and then bing, kind of like a Hanna-Barbera character entrance. So that's, that skid enters, and then is standing there ready, into the room, letochacheder. So, Uncle Vernon skidded into the room. That's our way of doing it. Skidded, that's the manner, just like running down the steps. And then into, that's the direction, into the room, not skidding out of the room. In Hebrew, the direction is the verb. So nichnas, that's entering. And then moed, the manner is that other, is that other little word, verb framed and satellite framed. So that's one of those things. How does your language move? Well, one answer that you want to have is whether your language is verb framed or satellite framed. And you know, our satellites in languages like English, and frankly, Hebrew, no offense to Hebrew, it's always been one of my favorites, but our satellites are boring. So it's uh, up, down, in, out. (laughs) That's all we've got in real languages. And I like to say that real languages are the ones that are really complicated and usually spoken by small numbers of people. In real languages, like for example, the Atsugewi language of California, a Native American language, unfortunately no longer spoken now, but it was pretty well documented. Their satellites were so specific. So we just talk about in, and then you talk about in the water, in the fire, in the cauliflower, or something like that. They had all these very specific specific ins. You didn't just say into. You had to use a different word for into depending on what was coming after. If it's into a liquid, then it was itzt, itzt. But if it was into a fire, then it was cis. And remember, cis didn't mean fire. But if it's into the fire, then cis is your into. If it's into an enclosure, then it was wam, which sounds kind of like the way my younger daughter said warm until about 10 minutes ago. It's wam. And so wam into an enclosure. Now, if you're going over a rim into an enclosure, then into was ikken. Like imagine, you ever seen in like National Geographic or something, those pitcher plants, those plants where it's kind of shaped like a little urn and it's got some fluid in there and the fly comes up and the fluid smells sweet and it slips in and it can't get out. It's one of those carnivorous plants like the Venus flytrap. Well, I imagine that in Atsugewi, they watched things going into a pitcher plant or something. So it's ikken. That's how you did into. 
if you went into a passageway and blocked it up, then it was X. Yes, that is what it meant. And we're all thinking it. I imagine that's what they used with their dirty talk. X. And then if you go down into an object above the ground, then it was This just went on and on and on. That's only a partial list of their satellites. And it just shows you that really compared to real languages, languages like English and Hebrew are almost oddly unspecific. Our languages seem telegraphic compared to a lot of languages of the world. And so I go, I come. <laughs> That's all we've got. Really, languages just get so much better. And, you know, language I've been giving short shrift lately that I used to use a lot on the show is good old Russian. And I think we need to visit Russian again here because motion in Russian is much more interesting and frankly frustrating than anything that we're used to here in boring old Germanic. It's a language that seems to almost want you not to learn it, which makes you want it even more. But for example, let's say we're going to go to grandmother's house. There are two ways that you can say it. So, now, you know babushka means grandmother, because what else could that word possibly mean? But, okay, that's we, and then go. So, great, so you learn that that's how to say we're going to grandmother's house. But then there's another way of saying it, and it's, so, kababushka is grandmother, is we, kababushka. What's the difference between paidium and paidium? It's not a dialect. It's not some random thing like saying he isn't versus saying he's not. It actually means something. It's that paidium is if you're walking to grandmother's house, like she lives down the street. Paidium is if you have to ride to grandmother's house in a vehicle, like in a car. It's like um, at the end of the old Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special when they're all riding in a station wagon to grandmother's house and they're singing over the river into the woods to grandmother's house we go. Well, it would be because they're in a car. You have to attend to that difference. It's not just going. If you go on foot, it's one thing. If you go in a vehicle, it's a different word. And this keeps going depending on what kind of vehicle you're in. If you are in a plane, you didn't go to Moscow. You flew to Moscow, and you have to put it that way. So you don't. You didn't go to Moscow unless you, you know, had a sack on your back and you walked on foot. If you were Napoleon or something, but if you flew, you have to specify that. Now, of course, we can say oh, we flew to San Francisco, but it's a little hoity-toity. You're making it clear that you can afford a plane, etc. You can say, well, then I flew to San Francisco. But you're being specific. You would mention that you were flying if you needed to say that you were flying. But just as often you'd say, well, you know, we went to St. Louis for Christmas. Well, if you live in Philadelphia, presumably you did not walk. And so we just assume the flying. In Russian, you have to say the flying. And this includes things that are on the water. And so our boat's going very quickly. Well, no, in Russian, it doesn't go unless it's some human boat, which, which makes no sense. No, it has to sail. And so nas korabil, our our boat, pluviot ochim bustra. And so pluviot sails ochim bustra very fast. You have to it has to pluviot. And if you're riding in the goddamn boat, then you weren't going somewhere in it. You were kataling in it. And so we were sailing in the little boat. We were going in the little boat. Mu, that's the we again. Katalis na We were kataling 
in the little boat. You have to know that in Russian. And so when they're learning English, they learn that, well, you know, stupid English speakers, I'll bet it's actually put that way in at least one book. Stupid English speakers don't make the difference between the vehicle and the sailing and the flying. They just say, go, I go, I come. But that's the way it works in Russian. In any case, it's time for a song. And I imagine that I'm supposed to play something like the song Easy Come, Easy Go. But, you know, I don't like it. And so instead, I'm going to play something that's a little less connected to the topic, day in and day out, because you could say that we're talking about in and out and coming and going. This is day in, day out. This is Rube Bloom and Johnny Mercer in 1939, just a pop song. And I've always just liked it. And who doesn't like something that Ella Fitzgerald sings? Day in, day Follows me about The same old pounding in my heart Whenever I think of you And darling, I think of you Day in and day out Day out Day in I needn't tell you how my days begin When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, go online and listen to the rest of that just for the arrangement. You know, I like the <laughs> the DJ aspect of doing this show. Thank you all so much for putting up with its fundamental incoherence. I know there is no reason to play day in, day out after talking about Russian verbs of motion. I, I know, believe me. But a little more about Russian verbs of motion now that we've had our little break. This is just, I mean, this is just crazy, stupid, sexy, wonderful about Russian. This morning... I went to the museum. So, сегодня утром я ходил в музей. I don't know what this Russian voice is, but I think I'm going to keep it. So, сегодня утром, this morning, I went to the museum. Я ходил в музей. If that's the sort of thing you're given to talking about. So, я ходил, I went, в музей, to the museum. Ходил, went. Okay, so you think, good, okay. Ходил, that's how you say went. There's this verb, ходить, and that'll be to go. And then I went to the movies. So this morning I went to the museum and then I went to the movies. Сегодня утром я ходил в музей. And then, а потом, I went to the movies. Я ходил в кино. No. To a Russian that's understandable, but you sound like a jackass. It's сегодня утром, this morning, я ходил в музей. I went to the museum, а потом, and then, я not ходил, it's я пошел в кино. Pashol, you have to get the tone. So, apatom ya pashol fukino. Well, why pashol? I went to the museum, so I hadil to the museum. Good. 
And then I went to the movies. Yeah, pashol to the movie. Why? And it's not that they have a different go verb for every place you might want to go. Although I wouldn't be surprised if a Native American language did that way. But that's not the Slavic way. It's get this. It's because if you say this morning I went to the museum and then I went to the movies. Well, you're leaving it open whether you got back from the movies, whereas it's clear that the museum trip was finished. So because you finished the trip to the museum, that's one way of saying go. But if then you're leaving it open, what happened after you went to the other place, then you have to use another verb. It's a different form of to go. So chadil, that means that you went and you came back or you went and you left. And so it's over. Pasyol, that is just that you went. And well, it's kind of a mystery as to what happened after that. And I shit you not, that is actually the way it works. And so somebody calls you on your cell and they say, so what are you doing, Dimitri? Dimitri might say, uh, yeah, you do. No, that sounds like he's he's Israeli. Um, he'll say, uh, yeah, you do. Kino. Pretend that he's like Korean in, in the book. So I always imagine him with kind of a goosey voice. So, yeah, you do. Kino. That's what you're doing. So idu, that's your go verb. But let's say somebody asks you, well, what do you do when somebody breaks up with you? And you say, well, I always go to the movies. Then you can't have the idu one. You have to say, yesida, I always chaju kino. And that's because you go to the movies and then presumably you come back unless you die in there or something. And I, I don't know grammatically how they would handle that. But, and I know some of you are going to write me and tell me, but if somebody calls you and you're walking along, clip, clop, clip, clop, Dimitri walking in St. Petersburg, what are you doing, Dimitri? I'm going, yeah, you do. But, Dimitri, what do you do when Maria breaks up with you for the third time in a row? And there you are. Well, I always go to the movies. And so, yeah, sigda chaju kino. And, you know, all the motion verbs are like that. It's not just going. You have to learn all these different forms. They're brutally irregular all based on whether or not you came back. And it's not just Russian, it's other Slavic languages too. So, you know, going, coming, you never know how your language is going to go and come. When you approach a new language, one thing that you should be watching out for is how do you move? Because it's not going to be the way you move in this language. It's not just a matter of plugging in, go and come. Or if it is, you're lucky. There are some languages like that, but really you're lucky if the language you're learning is going to be one of those. Even having a word for to and from, not always. So, for example, my friend Mandarin, where I'm always afraid to speak it, but, you know, you don't learn a language unless unless you make a fool of yourself. So, for example, let's say that you're trying to speak Mandarin and you're talking about running into something, as in inside of it, like you're a horse running into the barn. And then you want to talk about a horse running out of the barn. So you're standing there and you, <laughs> the horse runs out of the barn. Okay. Pao, that's run. Pao. Running into is Pao jin chu. Okay. Pao is run. Jin. Enter. Chu. Go. Entering gives you the direction. And go indicates that it's away from you. Pao jin chu. Now, if the horse is coming out, then the way you say the horse is coming out from the barn is that the horse pao run and then chu lai. And so chu is to come out. I always imagine somebody spitting out a cheese ball, but that's just me. Then lai is to come. So then you get the direction again. Chu is exit. And then it's also toward you. And so you get the coming. But in none of this is there some word for to and some word for from. Those things are taken care of by saying go and 
come. So always a go and a come. But then some little word that means to, some little word that means from, not necessarily. Many languages really are all about just the verbs. And one place where that's common actually is in China and then southward in Southeast Asia. There's one language. It's spoken in the south of China and then in a whole bunch of countries underneath. It's called Lahu. And it'll give you a sense of what sort of thing you have to watch out for. They have verbs just run together, not only to indicate direction, but for all sorts of other things, too. And so, for example, here is just a sentence. We made them help take it away. We made them help take it away. An ordinary sentence. And, you know, to give it some context, you know, I ordered a, a futon recently and it came in three pieces The third piece got lost in the mail. And so I called up the company and I said, please send me the third piece again because the piece got lost in the mail. But please don't send the other two again. I don't need duplicates of the first two and frankly enormous pieces. I just need that third smaller part. Thank you very much. Well, of course, next day sitting in the lobby is the third part plus duplicates of the other two, these big enormous things. And so I said, you know, I am not lifting those things. I'm not moving those things. You have to have somebody come from FedEx and take those pieces away. Somebody is going to have to help them if they can't lift it. I'm not dealing with it. This actually happened in the company for the record was Wayfair and their customer service was utterly gorgeous. But then for some reason, whatever the person told the people down in the warehouse to do was never done. It was like some episode of The Office. So wonderful futon, wonderful customer service. But this is a Wayfair story. In any case, it matches with this idea of we made them help to take it away. That's what I did. And actually, a FedEx guy did come, although, of course, he, you know, buzzed my butt. Anyway, so in Lahu, the way that goes is we help take, go, send, give. That's the way you would put that in Lahu. So it's not just a matter of plugging in words for we made them help to take it away. Languages differ. We help, okay, take, go is take it away. No word for away. You take, go. Help, take, go, send. Send is their way of saying that you make somebody do something. So we made them help to take it away. We help take, go, send. And then give is short for give them, meaning this is something that we applied to them. So we help take, go, send, give. That's how you would say it in Lahu. And then actually you would cap it off by the word that means roughly yes. So we help take, go, send, give. Ah, That's just it. These are called serial verbs, verbs in a series. Many languages have serial verbs, and that plays a lot into the whole issue of go and come. You want a song about cereal? I don't, but I'm going to give you one about toast instead. This is from the 1937 film You're a Sweetheart. The person singing is George Murphy, who later became a Republican, come to think of it, congressman from California. But he started out as very much a song and dance man. And, you know, if you like stupid 30s musicals, I highly recommend You're a Sweetheart. And this song is called Scraping the Toast. I kid you not. It's one of the stupidest songs ever written and one of my favorites. And therefore, I thought I would share it with you. I can get up by myself no alarm clock on the shelf no one has to say wake up my dear i can tell right to the dot when the coffee's getting hot just about that time i always hear scraping the toast scraping the toast when breakfast rolls around i hear that funny sound 
scraping the toes. A zizzer, a zazzer, a scraping the toes. Three cheers for Ryan White. Let's burn that bread up right. Oh, every mother and wife has the time of her life with that knife in the morning. Scraping the toast in every kitchen from coast to coast. When morning rolls around, those breakfast makers, those income takers, they start the day scraping the toast. Finally, going and coming, it can get much more specific in different ways. It can be about the environment, believe it or not. So, for example, my favorite example of this is a Native American language called Carrick. Carrick is spoken. I'm not sure of its status. I think there's some speakers still left. It's very endangered. But Carrick is spoken in Humboldt County in California. And it has some of the most specific suffixes to indicate issues of going and coming and direction. And a lot of it is about the fact that Carrick is spoken near the, the Klamath River. And so everything is all about the river. And so the language will be different if these people lived in a desert or if these people lived in a rainforest. But instead, there's this Klamath River. And so, for example, there's a story that they tell about a coyote. And the coyote steps from the bank of the river onto a log to drink some water, and then the log starts floating. Very old cartoon. And so to say that the coyote floated down river, the way you say he floated is uthivru. And then down river is rup. And what it specifically means is from over there down the river to where I am. All of that is just in rup. Then in the story, the perspective switches. And so now it's the person telling the story. And so then it becomes, he floated a long ways down river back to here. So, topthivru, he floated. And then, havarak. And havarak means to here from upriver. And so you start with up there down river, you're describing the coyote, then to here from upriver. That's what rup and varak mean. And it's about the river specifically. And so a very different way of thinking about coming. And of course, it works with going too. Now, I know what you're thinking. That was Joel Gray, original cast album of Cabaret. I've always wanted to play that when I was about to say to you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, really, doesn't, for example, rup just mean downriver? Why is this so special? Okay, it's a suffix, but that doesn't mean that they're really doing it much differently than us. That is a, a smart observation. But in this case, it's not that it's just a suffix that means downriver, and that's the way they say downriver, because they already have a word for downriver. So the roop really is just a suffix. It's just a bit of cuckoo that means something more specific than really any suffix in English generally does. And so uthivru roop wasn't just he floated from up there down the river. Actually, the whole sentence was yuruk uthivru roop. And yuruk means downriver all by itself. So there is that word. But even when you've already said yuruk, well, if you're talking about this coming and it's from over there down river and not down a path down the river, then it's roop. That's just the way this language works. Yuruk is down river. For the record, the language is Carrick. Carrick meant up river. All sorts of things in Carrick. It all gets very specific. It's tied to the land. 
And so compare. I came. I went. You think about the idiomatic meanings of those two verbs, which makes it even worse. You know, there's nothing default about the English way. Other languages often do it in ways much more exciting. By the way, did you know that rabbit is a euphemism? Well, you'll only learn what it's a euphemism for if you subscribe to Slate Plus. Yeah, you knew this was coming. Slate Plus means basically that you get a little bit kind of like the old sitcom tags after the show where I share some interesting tidbit that happened to stimulate me that week. And the thing about Slate Plus is that for a nominal fee, you get not only that, and it's not only on my show, but other Slate podcasts, you get not only that, but you also don't have to listen to any ads, not me reading them, not somebody else. You get it ad free, then you get your little bit at the end. And the money goes to support not just Lexicon Valley, but all of Slate's other podcasts. So if you want to find out what rabbit was a euphemism for whatever you're guessing it's not right you will never guess what this is you have to subscribe to slate plus carrick was not spoken on the prairie but i must admit that just the notion of wide open land and coyotes floating down the river as i sit here in crowded and today actually very cold new york i just start thinking of the prairie this is really why i'm about to play this this is 1935 radio further back in the 30s you go the worse the preservational quality of old radio tends to be this is no exception but please put up with the quality and listen to one of my two favorite pop tenor voices of the 19th 30s there was dick powell and then there was james melton listen to him singing carry me back to the lone prairie beautiful beautiful voice i'm a roving cowboy far away from home far from the prairie where i used to roam where the dog is under and the wind blows free Oh, my heart is yonder by the lone prairie. Oh, carry me back to the lone prairie where the coyotes howl and the wind blows free. And when I die, you can bury me neath the western sky on the lone prairie. You know, we need to talk a little more about the business of processes. Boy, was there healthy response to that. And I learned quite a bit. And the main thing I learned is that a lot of you use those Greeky Latiny plurals a lot more than I do. When I talked about axes and bases and diagnoses being rare, I was doing something that we all do. And I was doing something that I warn all of you to be very wary of. And that is that I was being impressionistic. I would never say axes. I'm pretty sure I've never said it. I would say axes and just keep on going, especially since I almost never have to say that. So I was in my own head. And, you know, big surprise, my own head is not the world, just like Twitter is not the United States. And so, for example, Gene Porter, thank you for letting me know that people who are actually working in a hospital do say diagnoses. 
I can't even imagine it because I am lucky enough to have never spent a night in a hospital. I hope never to. If I get hit by a bus, please let me heal at home or just let me die. I do not want to spend the night at a hospital. But if I did, I imagine I would have heard people saying diagnoses instead of diagnoses. Evelyn Leeper, thank you so much, first of all, for reading Men and Dinosaurs, which was a 1968 book that I remember reading that was such a get it from the library dinosaur nerd book back in the 70s. It was written by Edwin. I don't think he pronounced it Colbert. Colbert. Evelyn Leeper was for some reason reading that old book about dinosaurs and noticed that when they talked about the pelvis, they did call them pelvis in the plural. Thank you for that. I was not going to go back to that book. I really did think that pelvis was almost impossible, but apparently not. And also processes. Many of you have written and said that if you introspect, you realize that you use processes when you're talking about something having to do with your job, often having to do with computers, but then processes otherwise. So processes is subconsciously the way you say it when you're referring to something professional. That's very interesting, and it lines up with the sorts of things that I was imagining or professing. And so processes and processes are versions of the same word that are conditioned by formality and context, kind of like, to tell you the truth, the N-word that ends with E-R and the N-word that ends with A. We know they're the same word, but then they're kind of not the same word. Processes, processes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, those two. You know, that is probably the only time that you are ever going to hear dinosaurs, processes, and the N-word discussed in the same breath. In any case, everything has to happen once. You know what we're going to go out on because I have never used this? Talk about getting high in the 80s. Let's do some Rocky Horror. And so let's go out on a song about movement. Let's have it be the time warp. And I think we're going to use the movie soundtrack because, frankly, I never liked the stage recordings. And so it's just a jump to the left. Here it is. Nice, happy way to go out. And thank you to my producer, Asha Saluja, for helping me to choose that on the spur of the moment. You can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. Did you know that Lego is like J-Lo, like Jennifer Lopez? You know, Hustlers was good. I recommend it. But Lego is like J-Lo. It's the Danish words which read on the page as leg goat. And that means play well. Did you know that? Lego is leg goat. In Danish, it's roughly like goat, something like that. But it looks on the page like Lego. And so that's what Lego is. I didn't know that Lego was a J-Lo. Thank you, Diana Eidson, for that one. In any case, Mike Volo is, as always, the editor. And I am, as always, John McWhorter. to the left.